sunshine when she's gone It's not warm when she's away Ain't no sunshine when she's gone She's always gone too long Anytime she goes away A few years ago, I learned how to walk. Now, I'd been walking my whole life, but what I learned was I didn't really know how to walk. I also didn't know how to go up and down stairs. I didn't know the proper way of getting in and out of bed, and many other simple, basic tasks that we perform every day, I was doing basically the wrong way. Somewhere along the line, my body had forgotten the natural ways of moving, largely because our civilization and the way that we live requires us to do all sorts of things that the human body is not naturally inclined to do. And so over time, we begin to forget how to move naturally, how to squat, how to walk naturally, how to move our limbs in a way that is healthy. Because we now are suited to so many tasks that are associated with activities that for hundreds of thousands of years our bodies did not do, like riding, or driving a car, um, or tying shoes, or walking up and down stairs, or any number of other activities that didn't exist when human beings were still hunters and gatherers, we've kind of forgotten the natural, quote-unquote, proper way to move. And so we wind up in a great deal of pain a lot of the time. One of the ways we compensate for this pain is by using medication. Another way that we compensate for pain, chronic pain specifically, is by going to get surgery. There's also a pretty solid connection between our mental and emotional pain and the physical pain that we feel in our body. We aren't really encouraged to investigate that connection. Instead, we're encouraged to plaster over the pain with whatever we can find on hand. These are not things I ever would have known or learned about had I not been referred to prana a physical therapy center right in downtown Lancaster, across from Clipper Stadium. It was there, in the spring of 2013, that I met a physical therapist, and my entire conception of pain, and how the body operates, and the connection between the mind and the body was changed forever, and for the better. In the seven years since then, I've returned to Prana several times for guidance on how to deal with various kinds of pain that I was feeling in my body at various points in my life. The pain I was having was in my knee. After a few sessions, I learned that for years I'd been standing a certain way to compensate for apparently one leg being maybe an eighth of an inch shorter than the other, causing stress and pain on one side of my body, resulting in that side of the body those muscles working a little bit harder to compensate. Now, I was never conscious of doing this, but I did it all the time. Every now and again, I catch myself standing like that and I try to correct because that's what the whole process is about. Catching yourself doing something unhealthy or doing something that will cause pain and making the effort to correct it. It's meditative in a holistic sense. Of course, these days, I'm not going to physical therapy or really anywhere. So I took the opportunity to talk to Dawn Cox, who is the founder and head physical therapist at Prana in Lancaster City. She agreed to talk 
about her philosophy for treating pain, how she's dealing with working with patients in the age of COVID-19, for What We Will Abide. This is episode 61. I'm Sam Schindler. My name's Dawn Cox, and I am owner and operator of Prana Functional Manual Therapy, and that is a um, holistic physical therapy practice in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, downtown. We're situated right across the street from Clipper Magazine Stadium right there on Prince Street. And uh, we're in our 10th year anniversary of, of being a physical therapy practice in, in Lancaster. Um, now, our philosophy, we, well, we are physical therapists, but what, we, what I'm certified in is functional manual therapy and our paradigm and our approach is functional manual therapy. And all that means is um, in order to get someone to their optimal um, functional capacity, we um, basically how they can move well and do what they want to do without pain. We look at, uh, we're like, we look at M&M mechanical, neuromuscular, and motor control. So we're not just what you might think of as the traditional physical therapist with like giving a few exercises and throwing a hot pack on you and responding only to injuries. We're more proactive and we can be really good at prevention because we're detectives of the body to determine mechanical dysfunctions, uh, neuromuscular dysfunctions, and motor control dysfunctions. I feel that I need to say those words, but let me define them a little bit more in. Um, just layman's terms. So mechanical means like, okay, what is it moving? So sometimes we've gotten massages from people. We've seen chiropractors for joint mobility to get things moving. We do all kinds of soft tissue and joint um, techniques to get things moving. The mechanics are stuck or something is stuck or moving too much. Once we get something moving, well, we need to kind of reteach what's around it, the muscles, uh, the nervous system, how to respond to that new mobility in order to stabilize a joint or um, teach something like a muscle how to um, initiate and start a movement efficiently, which means the least amount of stress and strain to perform a task. So there's like 20 different neuromuscular characteristics. I won't bore you with them, but like how does something um, concentrically flow through the range? Basically, how do the muscles work around that new range? Then the motor control for the M&M &M therapy, the last M is motor control. And that's basically how do we do what we do and how can we most efficiently do it? Like how do we sit? How do we stand? How do we walk? How do we do something like a higher level activity like run, jump, play, dance, play tennis, play soccer? Um, even how do you hold your, your cell phone? How do you, you know, all that different motor control things, how we approach our posture um, so that uh, all of those together and making sure we uh, maximize each of those can lead someone into being better for themselves, their family, their passion, their workplace, and ultimately their community. We try to basically, our end game is to make people viable and, um, and have that optimum function without pain so they can go out and volunteer. I mean, if you've ever had back pain, and you're down and out, you could barely function and fix yourself a meal, let alone go out and help others. So that's the big picture for us. So I, I have found that um, the approach, because I'm a client, um, I found that the approach is um, holistic and health industry, the fact that it's an industry is a problem to begin with, but in the health industry, there isn't really that sense of connection between 
how you're feeling emotionally and how you're feeling physically. And most doctors who are surgeons just want to like cut right into you. They don't really think about like what, what, like how do I heal you holistically? What other things are going on here? And what I've noticed is mm -hmm. that the practice of your practitioners is to start with that and to think about that to the, to the degree that the uh, client or the patient is, is sort of uh, amenable to that sort of thing. Cause not everybody is, um, is there, uh, I'm, I, I'm, I imagine there is, but I'd like you to talk a little bit about that connection and the sense that you are providing mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. something that not a lot of people are really aware of. And that when you are in a st standard traditional medical practice, like with an orthopedist, isn't going to think about all of those other kinds of things that are going on. What, what is it that got you to sort of like get to that point and figure out that that's what's necessary in order to heal people? Basically, we see humans, you know, I mean, you could call them patients, you could call them clients, you could call them, oh, the person with the knee pain, but we see humans and just as a human myself, you know, I recognize that there's mental, emotional, physical, all that stuff mixed in a yummy soup, right, that we are. Um, so in order to get someone um, to feel better, like they usually come in and with some sort of pain or now we're known as more prevention. So someone might come in with, I want a certain goal to be able to run without pain. We have to address what's going to motivate them. Where are they at um, mentally in their belief system? We have to tap into all of that. What have what some of their experiences been like previous to this, either with physical therapy or even just in life? And we have to recognize um, all of that in which to help motivate someone to be their best. So I think just as the way, I, just my family system, you know, recognizing all of that, but also I got really good training. As I become a, became a physical therapist, I, I had a, uh, became a physical therapist later in life. I had, was um, a publicist in New York City for eight years. I went back to PT school at um, age 30 and graduated at 33. So even having a little bit more of um, adulting behind me, and recognizing, um, you know, that it's not just physical, it's not just someone with knee pain. So when we say we treat people holistically at Prana, um, sometimes people in this area might be shy away from that, thinking it's more new agey. All we mean by that is two different things. One is but what you tapped on. We recognize the whole human, the emotional, the mental, the physical, and, and how that meshes together. But we also treat holistically, and if you have right knee pain, there may be something in your left big toe joint that's not moving, that's making you shift weight a different way on your right and causing knee pain. So we, we literally look at the whole system, um, the neuromuscular system of the whole body as well as identifying just the emotional, mental, and physical. Um, so, but I got good training in physical therapy school, but also, most importantly, with a continuing education organization called the Institute of Physical Art, and they have a whole slew of continuing education um, classes that you ultimately can try to master and then pass a certification test. It's seven days of um, practical testing as well as standardized, you know, testing um, on a piece of paper, and. Um, that they help define how I approach patients as a whole. Um, it's ran by uh, Greg Johnson and Vicki Saliba Johnson out of Steamboat Springs, Colorado, but we have an international network of those that have been trained to be certified functional manual therapists. 
And it's with that training post um, graduating from physical therapy school that really helped me um, shape and mold to be the best physical therapist that I can be. But that never stops. We constantly are taking, all of us at Prana are constantly taking continuing education uh, classes to better serve um, the humans that are in front of us. And another one that really helped us um, is um, Lorimer Mosley and David Butler. They're physical therapists out of Australia that are really, and as well as Adrian Lau, L-O-U-W, they are putting out there for physical therapists, really the pain neuroscience and how the brain is connected with pain. And so we've dived into some of their, um, you know, education and practices, which is really um, becoming um, popular these days and really recognizing how the brain can be oversensitive and how that relates to pain. For instance, if someone has pain because they have, you know, they literally fell on their knee, that tissue damage could be healed in eight weeks. But if they have some of um, some trauma in their past or some fear related to falling on their knee, that pain could last and become chronic three months or so past that, even though the tissue damage is healed. So there's a lot of connections between the brain and pain, as well as emotions and mental capacity. And we recognize that we're constantly learning about it. And then, and then it just sort of is incorporated into the way we um, address our patients and our uh, people that come into prana. Um, This is the thing that I'm really fascinated by. I was going to ask you about your philosophy of pain. You just sort of went through it. Um, But I'm sure there's more to mine there. And um, perhaps I can give you um, a little bit of an anecdote, which I think will illustrate your point really, really well, um, which is a personal anecdote, which is the reason I, I came to Prana in the first place. Uh, seven years ago, after trying several different other methods of alleviating um, shoulder pain um, and pain that was radiating down my arm and pain that was in the shoulder blade, but also in the front of my shoulder. And it just was like killing my entire right arm for months. And this was um, in the weeks, it it cropped up in the weeks just after my mother had died. And uh, this is in the summer, late summer of 2013 or 2012, and then into the winter of 2013. And, you know, I went to two different um, orthopedists. I saw a pain specialist. I saw a strengthening coach. Uh, I can't even tell you how many people I I went to, um, a a whole host of people. And finally, I went to a a DO in New York City. I had to go all the way to New York City for this, um, who diagnosed me with something called thoracic outlet syndrome or thoracic outlet something. Somebody recommended prana to me. I forget who it was. And... um, I found myself there, and the first thing that I noticed was that um, well, Heather was the person who was, who was taking care of me. The first thing I noticed was that she was asking me about my emotional mm-hmm. state. That was not something that anyone had asked me about before, uh, and it was something mm-hmm. that I was kind of compelled to talk about because I'd like I wanted to say, "Hey, I think there might be an emotional component here," but nobody mm-hmm. asked me about that, and nobody is like you know even giving me the time of day on that. They just were interested in like, well, we did. I had two different um, MRIs both of which came back mm-hmm. like negative, whatever that means, or mm-hmm. inconclusive. And so I was like, well, clearly I'm feeling pain. If there's nothing structurally wrong with me, then what the hell's going on here? And mm. it was sort of terrifying and made me feel even more helpless than before. So it started there. It started with the recognition that there was an emotional component to this and a whole mm. um, like 
story of pain um, that I, I learned about, which is actually really, really useful. Well, I think those two prong holistically, like I was saying before. So let me just start with the physical body because we are, I do have to say we are physical therapists and our paradigm um, and our practice act for physical therapy, we have to really focus on the physical, you know, the, the muscles, the, the joints, the bones and things like that. But we have to recognize the whole human. So in no way, shape or form am I saying we're mental health therapists. It's we, we just honor and recognize that there may be a component and then we can incorporate that um, into our practice. But so for one, with what you, the symptoms you've had with in the shoulder and you were, if you came to me and told me, you know, you've seen this one and that one and the other thing, I'm automatically thinking it's probably somewhere in the neck or your first rib. So let me just offer that holistically also means if someone's having pain in their shoulder, it doesn't mean that there's a shoulder problem. It means we need to find out where the, it's coming from. So we holistically look at the whole body and it could be, if we're going back to what I said, mechanical neuromuscular motor control, mechanically, it could have been your first rib. Yes, your first rib, if you guys all touch the top of your shoulder and go in towards your neck, your first rib comes all the way up to your neck, could be elevated, which means it's stuck up. Well, the brachial plexus, there's nerves that run over that, that often give people the, the symptoms in which you described. Okay, so that'd be the first place I would go. But the, so that's the mechanics. I would have to work on that first rib to get it down. I'd have to work on some of your neck muscles that are tense, right? That keep it popped up. So then, so the neuromuscular control part would be, oh, I'd have to show the shoulder blade how to move up and down well now given that new motion or the, the neck turning side to side given that new motion. Um, then the, the motor control would be maybe every time, Sam, for example, you would like use your phone, you would always elevate your right shoulder to hold your phone and you always had your head down or something. So we'd be looking at that, okay? And then we would obviously give you some chest opener stretches and probably some rowing for, for strengthening to re-educate where your shoulder girdle and head and neck should be so that you don't keep triggering that first rib to pop up. So that's one thing. You know, we still need to recognize who is in front of us. You're not, Sam, you're not a shoulder. You are a person and a human. So we have to ask those questions like, you know, how, how are you doing right now? Um, and we even ask on our intake form, how is your stress level on a zero to three? Uh, I think it's called the PHQ-4. It's an actual form. And, it, and so you not only have permission, but we put it out there and you to rate at the day of intake as for your initial evaluation where you are on the spectrum of concern or have you worried for several days straight? Have you worried? So then that cues us to ask more questions about that. Um, and then every time you come in, you know, because we may, we establish rapport with the person every 40 minutes, we can tell if someone's a little bit, maybe not themselves or a little off. And then we, we lean into that and try to ask appropriate questions in a very compassionate way to the best we can. So we can tap into that and give people some permission to explore what they're feeling emotionally. And sometimes that most of the time helps to alleviate the pain. We still have to get to the physical that's actually there. What is it that we have sort of forgotten how to do as human beings that puts us in situations where we're, or not necessarily forgotten how, but what kind of habits have we gotten ourselves into because of the way that we live that causes pain that we don't even really think about that maybe, you know, 100,000 100, years ago, human beings would never have done and therefore they wouldn't have this kind of pain. You know what I'm saying? It's a little bit of a weird question. I do. I, I do. And, and 
I think the biggest one is, is movement, you know, um, it's to an extreme. If anyone's ever seen Wally, you know, the, the Pixar, I think it's Pixar movie, you know, um, things get so easy for us that we don't move as much, you know, obviously, you know, even the invention of the car, the television, the computers and, and, you know, all of our tech and stuff, but still, we still have choices. Yes. We don't have to go out and hunt and gather for our food. You know, we can go get takeout, but you know, we still have to be intentional. So, so that means, and I'm okay with wherever our society is right now, but we have to adapt to it and make good choices for ourselves, putting our physical, mental, and emotional health first. And so movement is the biggest thing we've lost. You have to choose to move now. You're not forced to move. And, um, and that's the easiest way, just going out for a walk, getting upright, um, and just moving those muscles around helps not only the muscles, it helps the bones, the joints, the soft tissue, and then the fascia. We're made up of one big fascial piece. Picture like a, a unitard, okay? Every nook and cranny and crevice is encapsulated and held together by fascia. It's just a connective tissue. And it can get progressively tighter and tighter if we don't move beyond that. So now picture yourself in a, in a uh, unitard, you know, or, or a onesie that's three sizes too small. In order to make sure that doesn't happen, we keep we need to keep moving and stretching. That's why yoga is good and just all different types of dance and just getting out and moving or hula hooping or playing a sport. Um, we've lost uh, movement, I would say, is the biggest one. Aside from going to uh, one of your therapists and doing preventative work, um, because obviously um, that's not on everybody's mind, first and foremost, um, what can people do? to make sure that they are moving more um, and that so that they don't have to go to a physical therapist to reteach them how to move. Like for example, I don't know how to walk upstairs. I didn't realize that until a few years ago when I, you know, I was having knee pain or hip pain and, and, and these things were connected. And, you know, it was Heather who said to me, so um, show me how you walk upstairs. And of course I walk upstairs, like I always walk upstairs. And she's like, nope, that's not how you do it. <laughs> and I had never considered that I was walking upstairs the wrong way. And so I, you know, I still do it the wrong way now and again, but I have to remind myself where to put, it seems bizarre that I have to remind myself where to put my body, where to put my foot, how to bend my knee, how to use my muscles that I wouldn't necessarily be thinking of using. Um, I have to remind myself how to do that. Is there, are there simple things that people do like walking upstairs or things mm -hmm. like that, that they can just kind of reorient mm -hmm. themselves mm -hmm. with proper, better forms of movement? Well, okay. So I think yeah. what I said before is just get out and move. Okay. That's one thing, but the quality of which, of how you're moving, that's another thing. And that is where we come in to assess what you can do better so that your movement is actually therapeutic versus causing stress and strain. Okay. So yes, the first and foremost, just get out and move. However, what we see ourselves at, we're trying to have a paradigm shift on why and how so someone would access a really good physical therapist who is a detective of the body who can really assess efficient movement. So we would like you to see us at Prana as like you do your car or your teeth. You only get one body. You know, in your car and your teeth, you, you go in for regular checkups to prevent something breaking down to prevent having to spend more money on your teeth or something breaking down to where it's a lot more painful. I don't understand why we don't have that same um, kind of, uh, you know, mindset for our bodies. So what it would look like is this, 
um, everyone comes into prana, the masses come into prana or another functional manual therapist near you um, going to coming in every three to four months for like two to three sessions. Okay. That way we can pick up on like, okay, let me see you sit. How do you sleep? Okay. Let me see you walk up the stairs. We can pick up or, oh, you're going to be running now. Okay. Cause it's springtime. You want to get outside. We can just make sure what you're trying to do, you have the most efficient movement possible. And we can pick up on little mechanics on what aren't working. Like you can't run perfectly. If you had an ankle sprain at the age 10, you forgot about and your ankle bone, your joint doesn't move right. And you've compensated. You don't have pain. We all have our different level of adaptability. We could run on that for 30 years and not have pain. But then all of a sudden you have arthritis in your ankle. You can barely movement. Now you have things that you may have to have a good surgery for, things like that. I respect the surgeons in our area. They're always going to have enough surgeries for traumatic injuries, but we're talking about those repetitive stress injuries that don't have to happen. So what we're trying to call the masses to do is to come see us every three to four months for like one or two sessions. And then no one has to have any drama, you know, unless you have a traumatic injury, everyone can just sort of avoid and prevent repetitive stress injuries. So we can keep you at your best and keep you best for your family, your workplace, your community, you're out there volunteering. And I just feel like that's the greater good. So it's hard to say what people can do about the quality of movement that takes assessment from a professional like us. However, the start would be if you're pretty sedentary, just get out and move. That's going to help a little bit of the joint pain in your hips and the back and everything. But then incorporate, um, you know, someone like ourselves to evaluate you to make sure that you're moving well. And maybe it's every six months that you come in for one. And then we also really value our virtual wellness clinic that we have here in Lancaster. So we are very collaborative. So we might be the head, the kind of like head of the wheel, but then there's other spokes that come out. So if there's someone that comes into our clinic who, you know, we're investigating and they could use a little bit more core strength. I mean, who can't? We could give them some some exercises and we, we make sure their pelvis is moving well. We make sure their lumbar spine, the joints are moving well, but they may really be loving going into a Pilates class. And we, you know, we look to Stacey Little at Pilates Synergy sometimes to refer patients to. She refers her, some of her clients to us who can't get the form right because there must be some underlying mechanical dysfunction. There might be someone who uh, would wants to go to the gym. Well, we, you know, or go to yoga studio. We like to bridge the gap of you going into yoga for the first time. We can review all the yoga exercises and what it requires from the body so that you go in armed with really good knowledge and a, and a base of, of movement um, for your body so that you can maximize those exercise classes or yoga classes versus going into a stress and strain and eventually an injury, if that makes sense. So in answer to your question, in short, you probably need us to assess the quality of which someone's going up the stairs. But first and foremost, everybody just needs to start moving. So I, I think it would, might, it would come as sort of a shock to most people to think about it that way, that you're kind of doing maintenance. Um, and they, I think most people think, well, I only go to physical therapy if I'm hurt. Um, if I, you know, sprain my ankle playing soccer or my wrist, like I did, um, and my friends keep joking with me, like, you're, if that, that's a game you play with your feet. Yeah, I'm yeah. Your wrist. <laughs> oh, no, that's that happens joke. a lot, actually. Yeah. So I, I think for most people, that would be sort of surprising and new to learn. Or you go to the doctor once a year, 
um, for a full physical and you go to your physical therapist every now and again to make sure that your alignment is right and that your form is right. And I think that that would be sort of a surprise to people. PTs come cheap. <laughs> so uh, w this is something we're trying to get, like even doing things like this, getting the healthcare system to understand this, the insurance companies to understand this. So even though right now, if, if you don't have an injury or ache or pain, right? Technically, your insurance wouldn't quote unquote cover it, right? But we're saying to people um, two different things. One is your body is worth it. If you pay, let's say, like right now, if you walked in and didn't do any insurance and you wanted a full hour evaluation, that's $175 out of your pocket. Then a follow-up visit would be $105, okay? So, but what if you just budgeted for two of those every four months? I mean, we, we're conditioned to pay out of pocket for massage therapists, for um, personal trainers, and all of these people in Lancaster area are my, Pilates instructors, yoga instructors, are my friends. But however, I just, I'm just challenging Lancaster mm -hmm. to look at it this way. We do have, most of us have seven years of higher education to, ma to master our skill. Why aren't you willing to self-pay some of that to invest in your body? Okay, so that's one thing. The second thing is, also be honest with yourself. We want to, we're ethical. We're not asking you to create an injury, but I think we're also conditioned to live with certain things like tightness, you know, um, limited balance. So you can still latch on to a diagnosis. Like I'm sure you have a little stiffness in your hip or a little pain in your back. We're not asking you to blow this up, but if you want it to be covered by insurance, you can be honest with yourself, check in like, oh, actually I do have a little hip pain. So the, and we're direct access. You can just come in directly to Prana, unless you're Medicare, then you have to go to a doctor first. And, and that's okay. We, we, we can hang our whole evaluation on, oh, you have some right hip, hip stiffness. That's okay. Insurance will cover it then. We only need two visits because now, but you're saving them money because you're coming in, not like I just had a hip replacement and now I need three times a week for 12 weeks or maybe 18 weeks. That gets expensive. So if we saw the masses for one or two, whether you're self-paying or you do, if you're being honest with yourself, you do have a little pain or stiffness or lack of balance somewhere, save, we will save healthcare dollars if this is how we looked at it. So I'm just doing it grassroots at Prana. But if we started to shift thinking, we'd be saving so much money and so much drama and time of people being injured in pain, which by the way, starts to get them depressed. Yeah, and it starts to get them to get um, prescribed uh, medication, which they don't need or oh, yeah. need to. Correct. Uh, and then Correct. there's the whole pharmaceutical component of that, which is uh, really pernicious and really exploitative. So, um, you know, we, we don't have to spend too much time on that because I'm sure, um, you know, that, that's a thing. That oh, that's a whole nother, right. That's a whole nother uh, podcast, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, it is. Given the current climate, what's going on with COVID-19, how are you adapting and um Honestly, how's business in that? Like, are you okay? Yeah. Because I right. see it as, um, for Lancaster, at least, I mean, this is my personal opinion, but I see it as an absolute necessity. Yeah, thank you for asking. It's been a rough few weeks for us, but what's just overwhelming is it's been a rough few weeks for everyone globally, and I get that. Um, for us, though, as a small business here in Lancaster and someone who is dedicated to the Lancaster community, um, and the whole Prana team. We have, we just hired our seventh physical therapist before all this went down. We had a three to four week wait list to get in to see us at Prana. 
um, we have a thriving business, right? We're recognized and valued here and we're in our 10th year of um, being here in Lancaster, Prana being in Lancaster. However, on March 19th, okay, let me back up. Earlier in the week, in mid-March, it came uh, non-essential businesses had to close. Well, we saw ourselves as, as essential. And during that week, we were already putting, um, you know, CDC protocols in place. We hired someone just to clean the whole time around us constantly. But on March 19th, when it came down that non-life sustaining businesses needed to close, we could have legally stayed open. And I know some other physical therapy practices in the area did, but for us, um, ethically, I just couldn't stay open and this is why. Elective procedures prohibited. Well, that's a gray area. If someone has some, some knee pain and they just wanna get it taken care of, is that elective? It's not life sustaining. It's not like if their knee pain doesn't get better, they're gonna die, you know? Um, but so, but I still was going to open. I mean, I went flip flop for a couple of days, but ultimately I did not want any trace coming back to Prana that someone could get contaminated at Prana. We wouldn't be able to completely protect our physical therapist, our administrative team, myself, and all of our families. And Sam, you've been in there, you know, some of these people are like my family. So I couldn't look them in the face and say, you're going to come to work here because we're so important that I'm going to put you and your family at risk. I couldn't do it. Secondly, we couldn't have enough PPE. We all know what that means now, like the masks and the gloves. I didn't have enough on hand at Prana to last us more than a week. So why would we start to open when we couldn't stay open? And I couldn't look at my one of my best friends, Eleanor Dunham, who's an ER doc, who's in a hazmat suit every day out in Hershey, um, testing people and on the front lines, I couldn't look her in the face saying, oh, I'm using masks and gloves away from you. It just didn't sit right with me ethically. Now, in the interim though, we can do some telehealth. I've been doing about five a day and people are really um, surprised at how much we can get done virtually. Um, you know, I've mentioned in this podcast, the M&M therapy, mechanical neuromuscular motor control. Yes, you're not getting the mechanical with our hands on, but you can get two thirds of our great paradigm through telehealth for the most part. We can, and that's been going pretty well. And you can go to our website, www.pranapt.com. And you can look at our latest COVID update, which is a week ago on us remaining closed until April 30th for now. And two, you can get more information on telehealth. What have you learned in the last like month or so about yourself? I've had some really bad days, just like the rest of us have. I mean, but then a text will come through from a friend or a Zoom meeting will happen with having happy hour with a friend or, um, you know, that'll, that'll bring me back up. I, I've noticed that I need to lean on other people at these times too, whether it's my family, um, you know, my, my, fan, my prana family, my dance friends, you know, I take a dance class, a hip hop dance class. Hey, shout out to Morton's Dance Center, Elijah Morton. <laughs> but, um, you know, I've, I've learned that I'm resilient. Um, I also am, can get sad and have to rely on all the things that I would ask others to rely on our patients. And, and I'm okay with that. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. Both the music you heard at the top and the music you're hearing now is by Elliot White. Elliot has been recording cover songs from his apartment no in downtown Lancaster. 
since the beginning of this isolation period, who knows how many days ago. Again, my thanks to Dawn Cox for taking the time out to talk to me in between telehealth sessions. She's helping people work through their pain in this extremely difficult time, and I'm grateful to her for doing it. And I hope that she can reopen once it's all said and done. Check out What We Will Abide on our Facebook page, and leave a comment. Thanks again.